Igawao acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Good evening, everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the time for me, Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law. And any argument you find yourself in with a film school student. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, and nondescript. So, let's talk about Rosemary's Baby. Released on the 12th of June, 1968, Rosemary's Baby, also known by its Swiss release title, Little Nicky 2, The Origin Story, is the story of Rosemary, a young wife and expectant mother who undergoes a traumatic pregnancy and begins to believe her neighbours and husband are causing her suffering. The film was made on a budget of $3.2 million and made $33.4 million back. A critical and commercial success, Rosemary's Baby is often cited as one of the best horror films ever, having a profound impact on the genre's evolution up until today. The film clocks in with a runtime of 136 minutes and may just leave you wondering, what really is in your cult? Your cult. Your cult. We, so this film, so this pod, actually, let's start with this pod. So it's Nick and I again. Um, We've we've said goodbye to, said hello and waved goodbye to our guests and we're back to a one-on-one pod. It's a Monday night and we're ready to pod, aren't we? And we've got basketball later. Yeah. Very important uh, part of the, I don't know, the Good Brother Ego Problem Cinematic Universe is the basketball team on which we all participate in, including Bad Brother. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Context for the week, just a little bit. Um, I know we don't check in anymore. How are you doing? We're back at uni, though. We're back, both of us. Uni's back. First day today. I was on campus. Mm. I shook hands. I kissed babies. Yeah. You, You signed the mandatory check-in check-in and then they say kiss this baby and then then you go from there don't you what are you studying again my life i'm back at uni i have to write an exegesis this year which is a long research essay and you're supposed to um, specify it down to one of your head of department roles on the major projects that you're writing or working on so as writer director i have to choose whether i'll focus on my writing or my directing then academically research um, some specific topic within that Um, so having written love cut which is a film that all the viewers, I'm sure, are going to check out at the, the big film festivals. Um, I have to figure out if I want to focus on which, which side of my role and then relate it to something that relates to my film specifically and then go from there. Well, yeah, I guess you 
That's why we came here. I just, it, I only really bring it up because it was like at these classes where I, I realized that I really enjoy talking about films and film studies as we're doing on this podcast, even in a casual sense. And that love for, oh, well, just like the ability to tackle into it came from uni as well. Basically, it made him the film reviewer he is today. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't avoid talking about Tom being a film student because, you know, if I'm not bringing it up, he's bringing it up. So, so what is the context for Chin Rosemary's Baby for you? Because you did so select this. So, this was my pick. And I've been, if you listened to In the Mood for Love last week, you'll know that I wanted to listen to it last week. So, big drama there that I had to watch it one week later than I intended. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know where it came from, but I've always, I've wanted to watch this for ages. I think I just heard of it and have kind of here and there seen it pop up and have heard that it's really good. I, I like, I like the idea of how old it was basically and how iconic it was allegedly for the horror genre. Yeah. Did and you get your taste for 60s and 70s filmmaking from Soil and Green? Yes. Mm-hmm. I wanted more. I said, give me this. Yeah. So, unfortunately, this so couldn't like, live up to the hype of uh, <laughs> Soylent Green, but... I don't know. Yeah. I think that this film occupies a cool place film-wise. It seemed like a... You know I, I, you know what it is. I like the idea of watching all the really famous film films and film schooly um, film critic, you know, favorites that are like genre films that are not just like dramas or something like that, you yeah. know? So, watching like a pure horror that's meant to be really good just i guess that idea excited me basically yeah plus as i think we expressed on silent green 60s and 70s movies have this certain charm because it's when films are really getting modern and it's just fun seeing some of the clunkiness combined with some of the the brilliance Mm -hmm. um i will say we just watched a trailer for this and like watching the old trailers is so funny because they're so bad and they're like you know either give away too much or they're just like really weird and and I don't know, maybe it's just nowadays we don't have any patience, so it's all big noises. And Well, they know that you can't sell, you have to sell a movie in the first like 10 seconds. That's yeah. why you get those supercuts where you get like a teaser mm. at the start of the <laughs> teaser trailer. Or they're like, wow, I can't believe you said that. And then it goes, what's in the box? And it's like Universal Pictures presents. Yeah, movie trailers, I guess it is a really important, like it's fun looking back at movie trailers because you get more context of this film era. And instantly it reminds you that these films, we're reviewing them now and we have completely different sensibilities to what was around when this film came out. The one tragic thing is that you'll never get the experience of watching something that's like brand new when you watch an old film in that sort of way. It's more like a different sort of feeling where you go like, wow, I can't believe this is this many years old and feels this modern or like it gets so many kind of things right. Yeah. With classic movies, it's interesting as well because uh, especially as a film student, I feel... I felt I, I used to feel a particular insecurity about not having seen a lot of the famous movies. Nowadays, I, I feel like more as though it's a sticker in my collection book or something. When you see, you don't have to have seen every movie up to now, unless mm. you do. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and so when you add another one, it's just another bit of insight you get, and you're kind of assembling the pic- your picture of what cinema canon sort of is. Yeah. And that's, that's the fun way to do this. And that's the fun, re- thing, fun stuff about this pod is when you add something else. And it's fun yeah, jumping around years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to Shaggy today about... Um, Israel. Yeah, watching films over the break. And he was talking about... He's been to the cinemas like three times recently. And I thought, oh, I'm a bit of a shit podcast host if I haven't been to the movies mm, in a while. But, you know, movies, as much as... Uh, journalism about movies wants you to believe 
movies aren't about what's out right now and what's coming out right now. Hmm. Um, and I think that's probably morphed even um, because we have so much access to history. The the canon of film going is really like an individual's experience now. You can go forward, you can go backwards. You're, you're never just... There's no consistent way to tackle movies anymore. Yeah. Um, and this film is just a great example of that because this is a film that you've obviously we've heard references to and you've read about and you know it's important, but you hadn't seen it. And simultaneously, you don't have to have seen it because it's probably parts of it are already in the movies that you're watching now. And mm-hmm. that's just how movies exist now. It's, it's all free-flowing. Time is a construct. <laughs> yes. Well said. Anything to add context for you? Just that I knew this was a famous movie and good. And I guess the Polanski context. Um, we'll get it out of the way. Yeah, we'll just quickly acknowledge it. that The controversy surrounding individuals that make historic art always, uh, it does definitely impact. Yeah, it complicates and affects what you think of stuff. Um, ultimately, the films still exist. And I guess this goes to my point on another podcast, which is, well, it wasn't my point, um, a discussion point we talked about, which was that movies, once they're released, don't act, aren't actually in ownership of the filmmaker anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that is one way that you can approach a film that has, where the artist who created it isn't good or mm-hmm. um, is, a, has a damaged reputation. So ultimately, the film still exists. And, you know, that's not in defense of artists who are bad people and do bad things. It just is. Um, even, even with this one specifically, the drama, that, that wasn't the drama at the time of its release. So that's the reason you can yeah. sort of put it aside. That's like or the compartment, thing that Not put aside, compartmentalize, compartmentalize it. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting. Um, it makes you... I, we kind of briefly talked about it last night, about how when certain things happen then in the film, you can't separate like the way... You know, as someone who has obviously been terrible to women, like when you see something happening on screen, you can't help but be like, well, either this is confusing to my understanding of this person or, 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 or this is in line and it makes it like even worse as well. So is that a funny thing? Mm. The brilliant choice you get consuming art is bringing your sensibility and your opinions and stuff like that. So yeah, this one's, yeah, that's how we address that because obviously we just want to be clear that we don't condone Polanski or, and it's from a place of cinema history that we're kind of interested in this particularly, I guess, you know? Yep. And yeah, so it's interesting because he, he adapted the screenplay or adapted the book for this film. Mm-hmm. But from what I've heard, it's very, very, very loyal to the book. Yeah. And he, he took big chunks of dialogue out of it as well. Yeah. So it's interesting, like uh, the whole screen adaptation thing. Like, anyway, the story is super interesting and the story has themes. Going back to what I just said about the complicated nature of it with how it deals with women's issues or whatever. There's obviously like themes that are very understanding of women's uh, plights, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, that not being listened to or taken seriously by men and having your trauma like ignored or all these sorts of things. It does play into the confusion as well that these themes were present in the book. And so the person who wrote the book, whose name was Ira or something, I've I've forgotten what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, He also wrote the Stepford Wives, which is another like kind of movie that contextually was tackling women's issues at the time, it's, which is just interesting. And those, that, it's another famous like sci-fi film sort of thing, another famous film, mm-hmm. book that got adapted to a famous film. So I guess maybe I'm just given just given a bit of credit for that element of it to the, to the writer of the mm-hmm. novel, I guess. Yeah, um, that's 
an interesting point that films always films that are adapted it's always a fascinating study because it really brings to light what filmmaking plays in storytelling context mm-hmm. um, and this film simply said is that it uses the cinematic medium really deliberately and in my opinion it works on a lot of levels right yeah i guess the the next part of my comment is that like it sounds like i'm trying to undermine the way the story was you know his involvement in the telling of the story but the way this is directed is essential i guess like it's not like you can copy and paste even if the story is copy and pasted across mediums it's like there's so much more to it that make it work on the film mm-hmm. well you can even beyond the story highlight that this this the plot of this story isn't crazy interesting it's not two hours 14 minutes interesting mm-hmm. not that much sort of happens it's a it's a slow burn so it is an achievement to make a, a movie that keeps you engaged for two hours and doesn't do much there aren't many well there's no confrontation with some evil entity which is you a, don't even see the baby's face yeah that's a huge part of it of course um but just even I just felt because I watched an hour of this film and it's sort of when is stuff going to happen? When am I going to get a cash in for the dread and the 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 anxiety that they're building? And to be honest, you don't completely get it. You you kind of get this strange epilogue series of scenes because even after the baby's born and it hasn't even had the biggest reveal yet, it still feels like the film's winding down to me. It's. It, I thought that the climax would be the birth. It just felt like that would happen. I still think it sort of is. Yeah. Um, whether you want that to be it or not, because the momentum definitely pauses after when she has the baby, or at least it, it, it was at such a climax point because... So basically just to uh, discuss the last part of the film, it, it goes the funeral, which is pretty fairly understated. She gets a book. She reads the book about witches and she instantly realizes believes and knows that it's the neighbors conducting witchcraft on her and her husband um who's in on it and then she freaks out tries to go to the doctor realizes he's in on this same thing if maybe it's a conspiracy maybe it's not sort of thing um then she gets the original obstetrician and he dobs her in and so it all comes to a she. I I'd never believed that she was going to get away with anything. Yeah, it was they, always going to end badly. Yeah, it was always going to end badly. And so then she has the baby, and that's sort of the climax, at least drama-wise. Because her. Well, actually, I'd say that. Sorry, this is kind of a little round around it a bit. But the climax for me is the phone booth scene. Right. That's probably the most most tension. Yeah, that's the most tension, and then it leads into being pinned down and injected with the, um, the. What is it? Yeah, that scene where she's in the phone booth and there's a guy standing behind her is so cool because... Well, it's it's one take. Yeah, so it's one take. No editing. And it's like not even... Obviously, like it's not anyone significant that's standing behind her. But what a good way of doing it, like without doing jump scares or anything like that. The tension was still there throughout that. I thought that was Mm. really cool. Yeah, that's got to do with the cinematography as well, of course. And it's just a guy standing there, you know? But then there's also anxiety about the other girl coming before she can get the call back from Dr. Hill. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's a fascinating sort of climax, but very understated. I don't know. So it sounds like you're a bit iffy about the end. Is that correct? I'm not iffy about the end um, because I think the end is done well. It's just I'm probably, it's more, it's broader. I'm, I'm iffy about the film because that's the end, not oh. iffy about the end because of the film. Right. I don't know. I feel like it's very much a novel's ending, which. Yeah, that's fair. 
which is not a negative comment. And yeah. I like it, I think, because it's a novel's ending, you know? Like, this is obviously like a horror movie or, you know, scary movie or whatever. But it's, you know, it's 50 years, 60 years old. And where, you know, it's not that scary to me to sit down and watch it. Like, as good as the tension can get and stuff like that. The only, like, part of the film which gave me, like, a physical reaction or whatever was when they're all standing, and this is spoilers or whatever, obviously. Yeah, my two um, <laughs> Is when they're standing around all going, Hail Satan, Hail <laughs> Satan, Hail Satan. I don't know what it is. It you got just, spooked by that. I didn't get spooked, but I was just like, wow. Like, I don't <laughs> know. I thought it was funny. Uh, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was awesome. That, that just, I really liked that well, end he, scene. I, I, I was watching videos and stuff on it, and he had admitted that he had to play it a little bit weird and a little bit comedic. So, oh, wait, no. Sorry, I'm mixing that up. They alluded that this video was comparing it to Dr. Strangelove, which is mm-hmm. Kubrick's film, mm-hmm. um, but then implying that the scene was played out fairly ridiculously, which it is. It's very over the top. And I think the, um, I don't think we know his specific ethnicity, but the photographer, mm-hmm. the photographer at the end, it's maybe a little bit of a racist caricature to an extent, I yeah, guess. Yeah, and just a goofy thing. Does he expose the film first? <laughs> like, why does he show in the back of the camera? Um, anyway, so that it is a goofy ending. Um, the, the, the killer shot is over her shoulder while she's holding the knife, right? And everyone's reacting to her holding the knife. And yeah, that's, that's cool. It's probably the ultimate point of view scene of the movie because that's going, the world has turned on her, right? Yeah. And she is isolated. Okay, so I know it's goofy and you can say that it's played goofy and, you know, the way that the movie's presented and the way it's directed or whatever and shot. But I think that theme-wise, it's the, the most intense theme of the whole film. Like, it's very kind of sad and traumatizing, like, how indifferent they are to her distress or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, maybe that's what connected with me, I guess, or, like, made me have that sort of reaction. It's like, so, even yeah. if it's not, like, straight scary, it's, like, a bit goofy and i'm not saying i wanted it scary i'm just saying it was goofy mm-hmm. and you said that was your most reacting moment i'd say i reacted more than i expected to the needles that hit a little more than i was expecting i think her i guess this is performance and decisions so not specifically this but her transformation her physical transformation mm. is pretty fantastic especially yeah. for you know unfair modernistic superiority here but for the 60s yeah she looks completely skinny and gaunt and pale, and um, I think the haircuts are brilliant. Yeah, so that's it, in the book, but is it? Yeah. Well, it's funny because the haircut is—that's oh, so funny because I could imagine them making up the haircut just to make her look more like sick. I guess yeah. it is funny how they all talk, give her shit. Like, imagine if someone said that to you when you got your haircut. Your partner. Well, said she, that. Sa- she said she got it from a famous stylist, yeah. um, Vasoon or something, right? And I think that person actually did do it for oh, the film. Cool. But it, I think it is important to know that she's proud of it and then everyone's shooting it down. That's, mm. that's an early sign of her respect and agency being taken away from her. Yeah. But yeah, so I guess in terms of spookiness, and I, I was wondering near the end if we were going to see the baby and I sort of... It could have been bad. Oh, yeah, I don't know. When they didn't show it the first time, I was like... Unless they're about to end on it, you know? But I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, I think because it would have taken you out. It's because, a responsible decision. So, like the most, you know, you see when there's the like rape scene or or the scene where she gets impregnated by the devil, <laughs> you do see the devil arms or whatever. Yeah, which is like I thought that was pretty good production design. Like, so you're happy you saw that was enough. You know what I mean? Um, what what did you think it looked good or not? Yeah, um, it's. Com- 
I don't know. It just is. It was a spooky scene for sure. I thought the dream sequences are amazing. Are, yeah, They're really so well good. done. Particularly, they were really actually I, eerie. I know that I said that I didn't react to anything at the end, but the dream sequences were actually eerie. Yeah, particularly the um, the pan down from the nuns and uh, Catholic students to show her in bed in that setting was really cool. And mm. I think it it was a combination of cinematography again because they'd established this world that was sort of free-flowing and observational but still grounded. Mm. So everything was sort of eye level. And then you got this weird high-angle wide lens which made her look a, li- a little weird. Mm-hmm. They they use that effectively in this film where they break they broke the stability for awkward moments and awkward shots and they were eerie, right? Yeah. I also th- think that the sound design was kind of what works in those scenes as well is that the sound smoothly transitions from one scene to another so that you don't actually realize until uh, and it's actually yeah, it's both of them. So it's like the camera keeps going. It doesn't cut to a dream sequence. It like rolls into a dream sequence mm-hmm. both with sound and film which is the part where it, like you're a little bit in before you realize what's going on which mm-hmm. makes it creepy i would say so in terms of the eeriness of the film i do think that it achieves a huge unsettling nature and spookiness yeah and you know what particularly because the characters the old people whose names i don't remember let me tell let's you have a quick look Mini Cassavet and Roman Cassavet. Well, does that have anything to do with Cassavetti? You mean John Cassavetti's? The actor. They're goofy, you know. They're yeah. not. I guess goofy is the word of the pod, but like they're not inherently scary. Mm. So it does a good job building the tension. But that's what I mean. So the scary thing about this isn't the people; it's it's the way she's being treated, right? Mm. And the casualness. Well, it it happens gradually. It's just the stripping away of her power as an individual and her privacy and mm. um for example she hangs back when um guy goes to visit the neighbors mm. and she's having this quiet moment with herself mm. putting on the the jazz record and reading uh i think it was style in magazines mm. um and then that strip from her and that's like the last moment she fully has like alone independence and just full-on agency and then it's interrupted and then that's just like a trend that continues through the whole film right yeah um but yeah the neighbors the Testavets. Um, it is pretty funny because they're goofy characters, um, as you said. And well, actually, first of all, Ruth Gordon as Minnie Kestavet won the Best Supporting Actress actress at the Oscars, which is interesting mm. because she didn't even have the best scene in the movie. It almost the best lines. <laughs> it almost seemed like she overdid it, but that's sort of why it lands at the end. Yeah. Um, because you, you can't understand her. She just runs her mouth and she's like a meandering old lady. Just a quick thought. You know what's scary about these older films is like when they scream, they don't account for the, the way that the audio is going to clip. Mm. And it's just this, you know, shrill analog distortion that happens. Because mm. I think it's in a dream sequence. Where she's like, this is not a dream. Yeah. And it was like freaky as fuck. Because yeah. it's like clipping, peeking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, what's sort of funny about this film, even talking about it, is I think it's a very impacting film even if I don't think the plot and film fully, fully works. Right. I, also, I think that it leaves you thinking about the world a little differently. So that is a huge success of the film. Because I love the idea that it's trying to scare you away from old people who are kind. Mm. And that's probably a big thing in the 60s where people weren't as suspicious and she's got these nice neighbours and it's going, hey, well, anyone can be a creep. Anyone can be a bit weird, be a little suspicious, right? Well, yeah, okay. So, what what can 
let's unpack the themes, I guess. So obviously there's themes about, you know, female independence and I guess, you know, her being trapped in a, a tra- you know, a, a traditional expected role in, in her life, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. being she's meant to have a baby and to serve the interests of her husband's career. Maybe the older people are meant to represent kind of a resistance to they they represent like a resistance to her independence and stuff like that, which could be like a generational thing that was going on at the time. Mm, even like in the mood for love, old people resisting yeah. modernness and sort of enforcing societal their own norms moralities. And expectations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think what well, what's scary about this is also what there's institutions that are you know further in that as well. So like doctors, people you're supposed to trust and everything like that. Yeah. What do you think? About, it's interesting that he's an actor. I like that, I think. Hey. Oh, guy. the guy. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. guy. The guy guy. Guy guy. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a meme because I think what's funny is you inherently are referencing the medium if you put an actor in a film, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess in the book, he's, could, he can just be an actor and it's, it's still reading the, referencing the creative arts. Yeah. It's always like a, a character that takes you out of it. You know, not takes you out of it. It feels deliberate. Exactly what you're saying. So it's like, cause you don't necessarily know that many actors and like, this could just be us in Australia or not even Australia, but just our circles, our circles where you're like, mm, okay, this is about, this is meta or something like that. But you know, there are actors in the world <laughs> and it's a real thing, but is he making enough money as a struggling actor to get that apartment? Oh my, my goodness. No. Um, that's, the biggest suspension of disbelief in this, surely. Because think about it this way. They're two old, retired people yeah, who live there wealth. and who have lived, lived there forever in that building, so right? So, they didn't even have to buy it. Exactly. They got that old money. And then you just stroll in and get this apartment. And they decorate it impeccably. Yeah. <laughs> there's not even some sort of thing about how they're cobbling it together. While he's not successful. There's definitely an angle that you go, oh, the neighbors are nice to them because they don't have much. Hmm. But no, they've got everything. They have a lovely apartment. The apartment is very cool while we're on it. I like the transformation of the apartment throughout the film. I like that they don't skimp out and they show you what the apartment used to look like. And it does under- yeah, undergoes a transformation between the start and the end. Well, it's certainly a motif that she is trying to be modern. Mm-hmm. And well, actually, first of all, she's modern by trying to updo, do up, up the apartment by herself because mm-hmm. he's never around. But secondly, I guess the agency in designing the apartment and he's absent well and she's trying to she's trying to construct this classic family home sort of thing where it's a nice house and nice environment and then she also is so desperately eager to have a baby in the first place so there is an allusion to like she's still conforming to gender norms and mm-hmm. i don't know i guess it's just everyone's happy for her to stay in her lane and forcing her to stay in her lane sort of thing which is readily apparent in this film I think he, he is scary. Guy is yes, scary. Yes, absolutely. He's a really well cast and well, uh, great performance, I thought. Mm-hmm. I've read that Polanski considered Nicholson, mm. and, but thought Nicholson looked inherently a bit yeah. evil, um, which was a great decision because Guy, you love him and you yeah. want to like him. So what do you think? Like, At what point do you go like, I'm not sure he's in on it or what? It's actually a, a pretty convincing reveal, I would say. You know, For him the most, yeah. yeah. I mean, even you don't trust the, the magic juice, the occult. Oh yeah, no, of course not. But but it's like you, even though there's like that dream sequence, or you know that sequence where he, she's kind of awake and sees him there. You you you're just like maybe not. Oh, you mean after he the, buys your trust? I reckon. You mean after the whole 
uh, devil interaction. Yeah, you think he didn't do it? No, I'm not saying you you do you don't as you don't distrust him as much as you could. Yeah, you just think he's a bit of an idiot, and he's a lot. Yeah, he's sort of charming. He's he's likable. Well, and that's the thing. the The sad thing is, I (laughs) I thought the film was setting you up to not trust the old people rather than not trust the husband and the old people, which is obviously a great decision because, Mm -hmm. as you said, it's a surprise. But this film, I was like, damn, they have a really modern relationship. They're getting along really well. He's been pretty nice. He doesn't hit her in this film, which is a big big statement for the 60s and 70s cinema. But he does molest her when she's asleep, apparently. Well, he doesn't, but he does. But he says he does. And And Yeah, he makes a very bad joke about necrophilia. And they move on from that plot point pretty quickly without. She's pretty it. unsettled, though. I thought her performance in that sort of stuff is good. She mm. she does a good job at sort of playing repressed frustration and yeah, because like same with eating the dessert. It's it's a very tense scene, and she does a convincing job. She's never hysterical. Mm. Another thing I read about, well, I watched and read about the film is uh, the theory that she is. They're upplaying her her youth and her ignorance. Mm. Um, so she's wearing like pigtails and these right. like yeah. childish dress, dresses that aren't mm-hmm. you know form fitting or anything. Yeah. Um, and then it does seem like there's a thing where she puts on the red outfit, which is completely different from all of her other outfits. Right. That there's some sort of uh, sexuality and the burden of female sexuality coming into this. Right. Where she's ignorant and then she takes control, and then she's punished for it. So mm, yeah, okay. there's inherently these sort of themes of her being punished for being a woman, just yeah. plain and simple, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think all that stuff's done really well. And I think that's... The themes of this are never really forced, are they? I don't know why, why that is, you know? Mm. Well, it's ultimately a film you can read in so many different ways, which is mm. the mark of a, a successful film. But I, I guess just quickly, my, my big... Uh, announce you know declaration about this film is that i think it's it's well crafted every story plot everything aside you can love them it's a well crafted film and it's very deliberate mm-hmm. and the the filmmaking bolsters the story yeah um on every in every sort of way mm-hmm. so you're a big chinatown guy yes i love chinatown we watched it we, as we've said we we're gonna pot on it and we didn't we didn't so I don't know. I'm not that familiar with his work other than those two films. Have you only seen those two films? Mm-hmm. They're his biggest ones. So. Yeah. He's, he's still making films and still has success. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Plenty of people we like, well, you know. Have been involved in his films. Yeah. In recent memory. Ewan McGregor, specifically. Oh, I feel like I've seen that film, actually. I feel with like Mum and Dad. Brosnan? Is it the one about, it's called Ghost Rider or something, yeah. isn't it? I feel like Mum and Dad rented that years ago. Okay. Interesting. Um. At a recent award ceremony, he won an award, and Celine Shiama stormed out. Oh, there you go. Well, I'm just going to go out and say that that's why she's getting a five. Yes. And Polanski's not, so. In, in reference to Chinatown, it is interesting because this is a guy who writes films about corruption. And I've read or heard that there's an angle that he's, his whole demeanor was affected by Sharon Tate's murder. Mm-hmm. So that's why he makes pessimistic films. Mm-hmm. But uh, she was still alive when this film was being made. Mm-hmm. But that's where Chinatown comes from. It's a complete, there is corruption in the world and it, it's horrible. Yeah. Because I think that's the simplest reading you can apply to this film, which is that this is a film about someone who's fairly innocent, learning every, like 
corruption exists. It's a this it's film. A, yeah. Hmm, I don't know. It's to me, my reading is that it's not about corruption. It's about society and institutions like taking away your agency is my main reading of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like even the people you love and you trust have these in, subtle intentions, you know what I mean, that are there and they have more control over you maybe than you realize, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, so it's like an abusive relationship really. Like obviously he does in the literal sense, like sells her out and lets all that happen to her at his own, at their own expense. But the, at her the, expense. At her expense. Not at his. And not at his expense, at his benefit. Yes. Yeah. But a big part of this film is about her not being believed. And Every movie has the part, every scary movie has the part about the person not being believed, mm. but they don't actually sell it as a concept. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's more about, this sounds so ridiculous. I know you won't believe me, but in this, it's like they were never going to believe her anyway. It's like a different sort of that Which is that like shattering. You know, mm. it's even more gut-wrenching knowing that she won't be believed. Mm. Um, and at the end, you'd know that she's not going to get away with it and not even in a dramatic way. I didn't feel at any point she was going to drive in a car and yeah. get shot at or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's completely helpless. Yeah. And it's like, so what ha- she wakes up, there's no baby, but she thinks she's pretty sure there's a baby and she comes and they f- she finds a baby and they're just like, okay, well, why don't you just raise the baby then? It's like, we don't care what you do either way, you know? Mm. The, the, the whole movie, there's so much indifference. The only people who care about her are her friends for like that one dinner party. You mean them bitches? Them bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and even when she's with them bitches and he's always like in the background and you can like see him through the doors and stuff like that. That's all that's like, really good. That's the film good. being, it's most heavy handed. Yeah. Um, so she catches, she throws a party with her old friends rather than the new neighbor friends and guys trying to shut it down basically. Mm. Um, and then she uh, hides out in the kitchen with her friends and they're like, this isn't normal, you're not fine. And then she finally develops a bit of confidence because effectively in the whole film, she's getting like gaslighted. Mm. Um, I thought that would have been more publicized about it, but the stuff I read didn't highlight that. But you know what I mean? Just because yeah. that's a, a famous theme. Gaslighted um, has got to be the word of use. Like gaslighting's from like what, 80? No, it would be like 100 years old, like the term. Mm. And it's, I don't think it's ever not been relevant. But why is it only relevant? It's particularly relevant because now. Because we're giving more voices I to... I guess so. <laughs> People who are being gaslit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. And so then Guy calls her friends bitches. And it's sort of hilarious because... Yeah. I don't know. He just throws that term around and... It's probably more offensive in the 60s than now. It's just yeah, like these, funny. <laughs> these days you'd go harder. Yeah. Um, and But it also is better than just calling them like idiots or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It does sort of land. But yeah, so the film is... I, like, I don't see how you can read this film without being empathetic to, to gender issues, you know? Can you imagine reading this and being... Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty... It's a very successful and impressive movie for that alone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it is strange how Guy betrays her so badly and yet it portrays such a modern relationship between them. Mm. And it has to do that, but I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? It's just fascinating. A 60s movie had a good relationship. But you say that, but it wasn't a good relationship. (laughs) Okay, I'm saying that they had good banter. He listened to her at the start. Mm -hmm. And even the stuff, I guess one thing they maybe could have changed a little bit is that he keeps saying, I've been so absent. Then it completely sells that he's been absent because you only see scenes where he is there and being present. Another thing I have read is that the, the whole film is completely from her perspective. Hmm. You don't take anyone else's angle. Yeah, but right. Like, 
I think that's pretty gatherable in terms of story, but right down to camera, mm-hmm. you see stuff, you see him in the other room from her perspective. So you never leave her side and get more information than that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing that, one way I did see that was that you only heard the phone calls that she was on. Mm-hmm. You never heard what he was on. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, didn't think about that. But yeah, it, it's not completely, it's interesting because you think you'd get more maybe point of view shots or something if you're going that heavy handed, but it's still around it. And that would have informed the, the wide and uh, non-dramatic cinematography in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, let's hit up some trivia. I'm just feeling that you... Let's hit the notes. Okay. Well, a, an interesting part of trivia is that I absolutely was correct. Um, when we were watching the film, there was the scene where she crosses the road and, and it was, it's covered in handheld. Yeah. And I said to Nick, oh, I feel like that's the type... I feel like they actually did that. And he goes, what do you mean? Why would you say that? And I said, it's just handheld. It seems too wild. The set looks too busy. It looks like a New York road. And he's like, hmm. And turns out that was true. Another fascinating part of trivia um, is that, so at the time, Mia Farrow was married to Frank Sinatra. Wow, there you go. Who was 50 and she was 20. Um, and Frank Sinatra wanted her to be... 50 and 20. Oh. Frank Sinatra wanted her to be in his film or one of his films. Yeah. But she was busy on the set with this. And he served her with divorce papers on the set of this. Yikes. So... You know, man, old themes, old entertainment just sounds so horrible. Yes, absolutely. Even trying to dive into the characters around this, and so Mia Farrow is associated with Woody Allen just a little bit later, and that whole thing. It's um, rough. People were terrible, were shitty, yes. and probably and still are shitty. But yeah, we just so that's what's always interesting when there's art that. But that's just what I mean. Like, does did Polanski like not know what he was doing then? Like, you know, it's it's. I think the, the answer is that everyone is complex and everyone justifies things in different ways so mm-hmm. they can understand a story and probably maybe be empathetic to it but then still do something else and not think it's bad. Yes. Even the characters in this film could have done that, which is yeah. the thing. Like the, the elderly people, they even, they even justify to her, you know, heal up, you can have another baby. Nothing, mm-hmm. No damage was done to you. You know, we didn't want to talk about it, but we are sort of talking about it. It's just fascinating because even... I was watching interviews on with him about different things. Mm-hmm. One was about Sharon Tate. And first of all, the media exploitation was terrible. And he has come out and said he hates the media because of the exploitative the way, yeah. ways they reported on her death. Uh-huh. That's like a complete climax like of the 60s, though, that event, I think. You mm. know? It seems pretty important. And it was, I think, well, I, I think it was a media narrative that bookended it at the end. As the end of like the sixties, I would say the everything that was wrong with hippies and you know that culture culminated in this like murder sort of like horrid thing, you know. Well, there were false rumors coming out that they were all on drugs as victims. They right. were victim yeah. blaming. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so then in the comments on this video are people and uh, video essays and stuff are people arguing about how you're just supposed to drop it, like. Come on, art isn't related to the people who do it. Otherwise, you'd have no one. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, we can demand as much as we want from our celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are really dumb for saying, you know, just drop it. They're making good shit. You can demand or, as much or as little as you want. And personally, I'd, I would rather be on the side of history that's like, no, we've got Celine Shiama herself. Mm. Maybe if we weren't giving voices to tools, we would have to give voices to people who haven't. Yeah. Fucked over other people, you yeah. 
And for me, my thing with this is always like, it's literally impossible for me to engage beyond a certain level and ignore what's going on. Like, if you really want to get tied up into the themes and what someone's saying, you know, if it's if that's going to be related to the art you're consuming, like, how are you supposed to turn that off in your brain? How are you supposed to see someone as a genius when their themes or messaging is, like, completely not genuine? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you, I, you, I don't see how you can ignore that. Even especially, well, I guess because if someone does something horrible, then uh, tries to media repent. The whole point is the stuff that you like would come after they have said sorry. Yeah. But with his stuff coming out after... Well, like, I don't... I definitely won't go out of my way to watch anything he's made after the 70s, you know what I mean? Like, which is a stupid, you know, internal justification anyway, because I'm sure that he was an abuser in other ways at the time. So, the baby is due in June of 1966, which on the calendar in America... 666? 666. Well, and... No, Australia, actually. And here's my favourite one. Abe Saperstein, the doctor's name, it's also the name of the guy who founded the Harlem Globetrotters. Okay, this changes my reading completely. How specific? Surely you, you knew that there was some other dude called Abe Saperstein, and what, how, how dirty are you doing him to write like right. an evil doctor? What does that say on his concept of the Harlem Globetrotters, which I'm assuming are a net good, like having the Harlem Globetrotters in the world. I haven't dug into my Abe Sapperstein history, but the brief Google I gave him <laughs> said that he was um, pro-integrated basketball before a bunch of people were, at least by hosting the, the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, so what are you trying to say in this film, huh? Yeah. The actual doctor that plays him is one of those scary, tanned old dudes. Yeah. Um, old Hollywood they pop up every now and then. Yeah. And it makes me think of Mulholland Drive every time now. You know what? Is that I was drawing... I was thinking that maybe Mulholland Drive was referencing the the grandparents in this film a little bit. Hmm. You know the oldies at the start of Mulholland Drive? Yeah. So, what, what other films came to mind watching this movie for you? How about you lead? Because you probably have an idea. Yeah. So, my first one... The main one to me that stood out was... I thought it reminded me of Get Out. Okay. Yeah. And I think maybe what I can... Uh, chalk that up to is this film probably and again it's not uh, i haven't done enough research but it seems like it would have locked in a type of horror which is other people not tru- not believing you mm-hmm. and then conspiracy horror because get out is absolutely like this yeah in the way that she, uh, he's involved with a in a plot to get him and well even right down to the political undertones of that film are quite reminiscent of this. Yeah. Um, and I have no doubt in my mind that Jordan Peterson... It's got to be, right? Yeah. ...loves this film yeah. and knows, knows this film and loves it. Yeah, very similar stories when you think about it a bit more like yeah. that. Sci-fi, old cultish as well. Yeah. What do we think about cult movies? I think they're back in at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't seen Hereditary, which I know... Um, the end, yeah. Um, I, I don't want to... Because I've seen Hereditary. Yeah. I'm allowed to talk. I don't want to spoil it for you, though. But It's funny because I think that... Even in this film, look, this is, if I don't make it to the next pod, you know why. But I don't find Satan stuff <laughs> particularly spooky. Um, I'm, I'm more scared of human manipulation than uh, well, supernatural manipulation. So, contextually, and this is maybe a little bit, and like this will be me recycling stuff I've heard on podcasts, so it may not be factually accurate. But I'm of the understanding that at this time, there was like this time and in, in the next decade, really like moral panics around Satanism. You know what I mean? Mm. And this was one of the films that, like, you know, shocked people and outraged people. And it, and it also kind of coincides with this period of, like, understanding, like, domestic abuses and stuff like that. Um, 
Anyway, so I think that at the time it was particularly poignant and there was a huge part of America that was like very afraid of Satanism and thought it was real and blamed moral decline on Satanism and not love of God anymore. Or not, no one, people not believing in, in God. Mm. It, it does work in retrospect as a domestic abuse and gaslighting is literally the devil. Mm. So it works in, in that sense. And yeah, I could, I could tell it seemed it was probably a big deal that there was an upside down cross in this film as well, hey, hanging you know over what? the baby's yeah. cradle. Yeah. Um, and you know what? And I, one thing I like is that the religious themes are definitely not ham-fisted, though. You know mm. what I mean? Maybe you they literally couldn't get away with more because people get in trouble for doing... Because well, real- they still seem... I don't know. I do have to say they seem pretty modern. Um, even right down to the speech at the dinner table is about as heavy... Well, actually, no. The heaviest moment is when she picks up Time <laughs> magazine and says... God is dead. You got, yeah. yeah. And I'm guessing that was a real cover because it would just be... Yeah. And I'm sure that's like from John Lennon saying that... <laughs> God is Beatles are bigger than God or, or Jesus or you yeah. know like I think that the sixties are very much that sort of movement you know mm. which is so funny like it, not that I'm definitely not a person who wishes they lived in another era but it just would have been interesting to see like mass societal thinking at a time because we really reflect and I think the sixties are portrayed as this kind of like really progressive era sort of things but it's like hey these are the boomers that are running our country so mm. you know how does it actually work out you know. I imagine that you can't identify groupthink because you're in it either, though. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's definitely something that's going on right now that is groupthink that we're a part of, mm. and we just can't realize that it's going to not be around in the next little bit. Yeah, but we have evidence on this pod that we're self-aware. We do. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, other films, the one that I said to you, which I wasn't sure, was the scene in... This is the end. Yeah. Um, where the devil scene seemed to be referencing yeah. this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this was alluded to, but I, you know, I think it clicked slightly before I, re- I had it in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, Alien. So Alien's about being... Alien's like a rape movie. Mm-hmm. That is an uh, academic perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure very deliberate. Where the building... I mean, the, the spaceship. And we, we got to do Alien because I love Alien. I mm-hmm. talk about Alien all the time. The spaceship is very much constructed as though it's a living entity. Mm-hmm. And you've got an engine that's like... Boom, 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 and it's supposed to be like a heart. Mm-hmm. And you've got doors that open up and it's like you're going through a body. And so then the alien and the infection of the alien is a rape movie. And it's about uh, corrupting and um, danger and slimy and gross and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so this film is, you know, a bit like that where you get, well, I guess it's like this corruption of something that's supposed to be sacred, which is pregnancy and yeah. new life and stuff. It's interesting, right? Because they're playing with sensitive themes and doing a pretty good job of it mm. overall. And, it, but the thing that makes me feel weird about it is it's like knowing that like after this film came out, there was a lot of exploitative films that were made of these concepts that were doing it for literal just like shock value horror mm. sort of thing because it's something those sort of themes like they're in lots of films and sometimes they're just like horrible you know what i mean and just like not compassionate enough i don't know so that's uh, some weird thing that i think about when knowing this is like an influential film for example you know mm-hmm. yeah it functions as a thematically influential film and as a technically mm. influential film though regardless hit the memes um, so this film, as I don't know, I think if you just wind, 
I wouldn't even say before the 80s, maybe it's the 90s, but like films before the 90s always have a hilarious line in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film had a few. And the first is the delivery, well, at least the first, because there's a few funny things that just happen, like them having sex is sort, sort of and You know what's the oddest part is that her saying, let's make love, opened both of the trailers <laughs> that we watched for this. Yeah. Which is so weird. That's, that it's I like, think that's the exploitation cinema coming out. That's mm. going, people want to see, what's all this sex stuff going on here? Because I thought the nudity in this film was fairly... Um, like tasteful. Edgy. Oh, edgy. Ed- well, it's edgy because it's nudity. Mm-hmm. But I think it's always interesting when you do... Because when you can uh, sort of craft nudity around horror, it's uncomfortable ultimately. And so the film does a really good job of it where uh, the scene with her on the boat and then she's in a bikini, that's a really powerful scene on body image and confidence. Mm. So I think that's well done. But yeah, when you do... And even the the demon scenes where she's laying on her back and she looks so skinny and they're like dragging the blood down her and stuff. Mm. If you, you can pull it off to be really uncomfortable. And I think less is more, as yeah. a lot of people would tell you. But... You know, this is just a thought, but I'm thinking that maybe a reason why this film works comes back to what you're saying about it all being in her perspective. Like, they actually commit to making you feel like you're not, maybe not in her shoes, but like that you're there with her mm. and like you actually fully invest in her. So it does make those sorts of scenes maybe not feel like they're as exploitative, I guess. Yeah. You know? Do you like her as, yeah, let's unpack her a little bit. Do you like her? Like Rosemary or Mia Farrow? Rosemary. As, uh, I don't know. Yeah, she's right. As characters. Well, person. look, I think at the start, she, she is, there's, you know, she's like a housewife. She's like just a bit chi- too chippy all the time to see him and all that sort of stuff, you know. But beyond that, I think she's pretty good. Mm. What do you, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, because they, they certainly give her opportunities to be empowered. And what's interesting is Mia Farrow has said. But what said, they could have done is like, I think if they did it now or whatever, what I would do is just give her like some hobbies or something to do with her time. Like she doesn't not need to do anything. Do you she know what I mean? She is designing the house. That's her strongest hobby. Yeah. Um, but even but so, she doesn't do she it off- as much as she could. And she off plays that as just, you know, reading a magazine. I guess maybe that is part of it as well, though, that it's like you can't take, you're not supposed to take responsibility for, um, or take credit. I mean, you know, maybe she's like just been ingrained to like not take credit for things that she does. Yeah. Cause there's no way that. Guy is helping around the house. Yeah. All he's doing is running around putting flowers. Mm. Um, apparently, the, the flowers are symbolic. They pop up before something bad happens every time. Mm. Notably, before they, you know, go for the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Mia Farrow herself has said that she thought um, Rosemary was a victim and played like a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I don't know, I think it's... Wait, what do you mean? The actor has said that about the character. No, but what do you mean... She says she's a victim. She's a victim. Well, but she um, doesn't make bad decisions or oh. um, feels sorry for herself or something. Something I'm paraphrasing, but something along those lines. Interesting. Condemning her actions. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know. That sucks a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that well, that's just another example of how art is actually out of the hands of the artist. Yeah. But yeah, because I think, I think Rosemary is a really well-constructed, if not slightly dated, um, but really likable character. And I think maybe uh, talking about it, it's not actually about what she does. It's just the fact you spend so much time with her that you get perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a, as a filmmaker and as a filmmaking, 
um, I think we can take away that <laughs> perspective done right is really powerful. Yeah. Um, and committing to it fully is really, mm-hmm. really effective. Yeah. What did you think of her, um, her friend and relationship to Hutch? Um, I don't know. I think that he's a common figure in these sorts of films, you know. Yeah. Maybe he set that stereotype or something like that, but there's always like an old guy or like someone who's like a little bit wiser and knows what's going on, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, you don't get an explanation. I'm assuming they know him from living in the other building. Wasn't that the story? Uh-huh. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. That's what I got. He, uh, he lived He's at- the landlord, isn't he? Who's the guy on the boat? Is it Hutch as well? Because you know how it morphs into someone's face? Or is it Roman? I don't know. I think, I think it's Roman. Man, all white guys look the same. Old white guys. No. Well, we were saying this just recently, all, all, all white guys look the same. I mean, the, what's it called? Soylent Green. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't get the blonde I guess maybe that's the problem separated. of them only casting like people that they think are like objectively beautiful or yeah, whatever. So is d- that everyone looks exactly the same? Look, if you need racist, if you need a reason to cast diverse... We don't know who your characters are. <laughs> it's simply for ease of access, ease of understanding. But yeah, so the Hutch character is pretty funny. Um, it, it is a pretty great moment when he leaves his glove and then you realize that he left the glove. Yeah. But I think she does believe in witches maybe a little too easily. Yeah. In terms of her actual logic. I understand that, but I think that I give it enough leeway because she's pregnant and in pain and like... You know, everything is working against her. And the thing is, like, pregnancy and things always, like, is very interesting to me. Like, as someone who's not in any mood to have a baby at all very soon. Well put. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Who's not pregnant. (laughs) Just the whole idea that people are feeding you shit and stuff like that is pretty scary. I don't know. I think it's untapped in a way. Because I think maybe this is, you know, it's very within the listener's... uh, rights to say that i don't understand it but it feels like a fair amount of pregnancy literature you get is uh focused on it's not so deep as this oh, it's, it not talks, as it's all about like making fun of cravings and shit like that yeah it's not... and it's like because it's just such a it's a rich thing because it is freaking weird that you are pregnant for nine months you know yeah i think that but that's the, th- the thing is things like periods and pregnancy in films and old stuff is like literally like the butt of a joke. They're making fun of women for these sorts of things. And like, mm. you know, indifference is like bad enough and like lack of sympathy. But the fact that it's funny for some reason, just like, I don't know, what was I watching? Um, 16 Candles or something. Yeah. Which is a trash ass movie, just so you know. Mm. They were just like making period jokes. Like one, the of the girls, the girls. one of the girls gets married and then there's like this big joke that she's on her period on the wedding night. And it's, I'm just like, this is not funny. You're literally just making fun of her because she's a woman mm. for being a woman. Like, it's not even... Well, written by John Hughes, right? Mm. So, all the... Ultimately, there's... It's just so damning. The history of film is so damning that everything was written by a guy for such a significant part of history. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's such an untapped area of pre- pregnancy. Because even... Well, even knowing... I don't know super close-hand people being pregnant, but... It's just fascinating that these people, because it's such an experience, you know, yeah. um, and people talk about it, but they don't seem to talk about it as uh, existentially as I feel like it would be yeah. going through it. Yeah, that's a good point. We all take it for granted 
and it's all like part of you know human history forever so it's just like we all go oh yeah that's just a normal thing that happens like when you're five years old you can conceptually wrap your head around pregnancy you know what i mean not like the specifics like, of you're it, sibling. But, but you're like oh yeah my mom's pregnant or something like yeah, that you yeah. know like and so we just don't pay it any attention you know what i mean mm. well i think that absolutely has to do with the media as well mm. they've let pregnancy down Imagine how much more leeway females could get if there was more representation like this, though. Yeah. You asked me about their relationship to Hutch. What about... This is like pure story ideas. Um, Terry. Is that the woman who dies? Yeah. Yes. What's that about? about What's all that about? Well, I'm just guessing that she's living with them and they're trying to, like, get her pregnant and, like... Yeah, so she is wearing the necklace Mm. and... uh, Rosemary only gets a necklace after being pregnant, so I think you can guess that she's pregnant. Oh, you think she's pregnant? Yeah. Right. I guess so. Yeah. That whole scene where she dies, beyond having like the funny line, which we haven't quoted yet. No, we haven't. So the, the funny quote is, they're standing around, and cops in these movies are always a bit weird, you know. Um, One hilarious thing, and this is, was in Solent Green as well, is like, you know, nowadays cops get, you know, they're not the most popular people you in the world. You get more of an angle, at least. Um, but, like, back in the day, like, any cop representation, cops were all just, like... They have no social skills. Yeah. And that was okay. And everyone's like, oh, it's a police officer who's allowed to be a complete yeah. dick to Did me. people just bark at people? Like, cops just have no relationship to people? Because I know that people were abusing the power to some extent, and still do, but you can't... <laughs> Surely, cops had social skills. This guy did not go through his, like you know, sympathetic delivery training or whatever. So the honors of it, uh, you actually, I like the scene though. You, um, that's what I was saying. That's why I brought the scene Yeah. Up. You get them all gathering around and it, it is always a good, uh, film drama moment when people gather around a crime scene. Like it works pretty much all the time, at least on an interest level. Um, cause I guess cause it, it's always an inciting incident. It always means that something else is about to come. Um, and so they're gathering around and uh, guys sort of going, oh, I know her. And then he's like, how do you know her? And then he goes, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, yeah, we already knew that about her name. Um, and he's like, I don't know. That scene goes for kind of a while. Um, and so then the, man, I can't, it's such a, a mind confused that the old people are called the Castavets <laughs> with John Cassavetes, Cassavetes, yeah. the Castavets um, walk up. And they know it's them for some reason. And the cop goes, you better brace yourself for some bad news. She's dead. Which is hilarious. And the other, you haven't even got the other line written down. Ah, uh, he goes, I seem to have overfilled the wine glasses. Um, Classic delivery. Yeah. Yeah, but that scene's really good. Um, I think that it's kind of eerie and scary. Like, look, the death looks kind of violent. I think it's because how it's shot. Because yeah. it's, it's shot in this handheld sort of um, gritty nature. And mm. I really... I really love the old... What's a weird thing is you probably couldn't replicate this the same anymore because you're not allowed to. But in these old films, the difference between a dolly shot and a handheld shot is really jarring. Um, And you cool, right? Well, I think it's almost like a non-intentional cool because I know that they're going handheld because they want to go handheld. And like, I'm not an idiot. I'm trying to undermine Mm -hmm. uh, the directors knowing what would happen. But, you know, handheld today looks better because you get steady cams. Not steady cams, you get easy rigs and you get um, stabilization in post. You get to make handheld look better. But in the old days, uh, handheld looks so different. And it's because 
you know, the technology is just, just different. You know, you're capturing a frame and if you're angling the camera 0.4 of a degree differently, it's going to look extremely diff- different. Mm-hmm. But you get this really jitteriness to handheld. And so handheld in a film like this, um, combining it with a dolly, dollies in certain things, makes it look even weirder and more uncomfortable. Um, and so in that scene, I'm pretty sure it's handheld and it looks really kind of shocking and a bit real, right? Yeah. It just plays off really well. And the movie's like really full of moments like that, I think, where they do a good job of immersing you just through all those different choices, I think. He, ma- he makes all the right choices directing-wise, I would say. So in terms of critiquing, what sort of happens between the start and when it ramps up? You know, I don't really have an issue if nothing particularly happens, like, because I want to be sold about the slow kind of process of this coming to be her reality. Do you know what I mean? I think it actually does need to be deliberate. It is, like, maybe a little bit too long, but I don't know. I'm not, I haven't given enough thought or I'm not smart enough to know, like, what I would necessarily cut from this because mm. I do think that those moments are good and I, I think what well, isn't half the problem with horror films that they, they ramp up too quickly, you know what I mean? And you're not emotionally invested. I still think that you could combine some of the scenes to be a little more effective and a little more deliberate. Mm-hmm. So if In the Mood for Love was repetitive deliberately yeah. in a motif-y sort of way, I think this film could get away with a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, and then just make the scenes a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, it is a little hard to describe, but her in her gaunt phase, maybe her visit in The Doctor... Mm-hmm. Because I think she visits him and he talks to her at the party. And the party's a little non-meaningful. It's just, I, it just felt a bit too long for me. Um, and the way that you feel that is how long the end, the wind down sort of goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the end is so good. I, I'm maybe I would have liked. End. I think I would have liked the witches being teased a little earlier. I think they could have started to sort of introduce it in a way that meant maybe she was suspicious a little earlier. Mm. Well, but she kind of is. Like, she has those moments in bed and has those dreams as well and hears stuff through the wall and all that sort of thing. Mm. Maybe it's just a modern sensibility where I want things a little faster and a little more. Well, actually, it's you in every film saying that it should have Well, I want it shorter. Um, but then, as I've also expressed on this pod, every second watch is a better watch or a worse watch, but you're more... <laughs> It's a more intense version of the other watch. It's a more comfortable watch because you're yeah. like, I'm ready to commit to this view. So I, I'm still sort of aware that I'd like this film more knowing the, the roadmap for how it paces out. Yeah. Well, do you have any other critiques apart from... Well, I guess my... This is sort of like wrap-up thoughts. Mm-hmm. My sort of criticisms are a bit hard to describe because I think it is stuff like going a bit too long and a bit... Maybe the stakes aren't high enough. But I understand it's a slow burn, and so it won't come off as good criticism because I can't specifically tell you where I want it to be tightened, but I think it can be a bit tighter. Mm -hmm. And so then I find the ending a little sort of underwhelming. I think it's sort of the pacing. I think maybe her come down in the bedroom is a little long. I think she could get out and explore in a little quicker. That lady who was next to the bed I thought was a really funny actor. Yeah. She was really hilarious, like... She puts the spoon and she... Wait, what's the first thing she says? I think, yeah. But she puts the spoon in the, in the breast milk and she's like... Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, 
just messy as well. <laughs> just like I don't think she had an, an <laughs> Irish or Scottish accent or whatever. That's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't think it's pretty hilarious when her and um, Mrs. Cavetti's or whatever. I'm not scrolling up again. Um, storm into the apartment, sit down, start knitting. Yeah, um, aggressively knitting. Yeah, and it's just like. You seriously, you don't. You just want to rent my space. You, you don't want to involve me in your hobby. You're not going to yeah. hand me a knitting kit. You're just going to sit here. I'm not done talking about this woman's acting performance. And then she's rocking the cradle with the baby in it a million miles an hour. And she like gets told to walk away. And she's like, she shouldn't be here. Blah, blah. And she like puts the tongue out at her. Did you, did you catch that? Which is just a funny little thing. Because I could just imagine being a director and someone does that and just be like, yeah, no, nah, don't do that again. Like, take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Polanski did like 50 takes of stuff. He was a little Fincher-esque. He must have loved it. He must have maybe said more time. That's more time. More time. I don't know. Um, I don't think they made her shoot her scenes more than once, that woman. Surely not. She was, she's probably annoying to be around. <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry, lady. Um, but yeah, so my, my issues with the film are just didn't sort of click and i really love the themes um but i almost respect and love the themes more than i love the plot if that makes sense um maybe wrapping around i think the the stakes just could have been a bit more heightened for me so i well just because i know this film's critically acclaimed and this is a thing i was going to say to right at the end but i think this movie is technically really great i think it's uh forward thinking and really um affecting for a movie that, you know, it even is before the test. So the definitive movie test for me is before or after 2001. This is before 2001. Mm-hmm. And it could be after. Yeah. Um, so, well, I'm just saying it's impressive. Um, so the film is really well made, but it just doesn't completely resonate with me. And I think it's because there are parts where I would have maybe liked a little more drama, I guess, which makes me sound not so good because, it, it you know, it makes me sound like I'm a, a little... Um, underappreciative of the slow slow burn but i think it just could have been tighter and so everyone is out here rating it like four and a half and five like it is a perfectly modern film i still think it is just still a bit dated and with my honest eyes it's a film that could uh, maybe it's it's because it could still be told today there's nothing that's essentially 60s about it so i can criticize things about it and be like because the themes aren't essentially 60s right so there are things I can criticize about it and think that they could be improved on. So it's not my definitive movie on something. It's not the be-all and end-all of this genre sort of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but if it's also such a poignant theme, a, a theme that has carried over now, then isn't it more impressive that it was... It's impressive, but it just doesn't mean that it has to completely click yeah, with me. Yeah, fair enough. You I don't, don't have, think you don't have to be like that. Yeah. You know, as opposed to like There Will Be Blood, which has closed the chapter on oil tycoons in the 1920s for me. Oh, 18... Are there uh, anyone? Any other films about that storyline? There have to be. Um, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just... It's a really, really good film, but I don't know how much... Like, I would recommend the film for the technicality more than the story. I, is probably my way of saying... Just succinctly describing what I mean. Yeah, I think that that's the timer. Yeah, that's it. And I think that was your what you would change about this. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're going to go in reverse and say what worked for you with this film. What worked for me? The cinematography 100% worked. Um, it's Nick and I were just talking before we watched this about Love Cut. And 
I don't know if you were thinking about this watching this, but the way I envision Love Cut is shot in free flowy mids and stuff. And this is a great reference for, mm -hmm. for that. Um, I think it creates a cool relationship towards the characters and towards realism and performances. I think performances in mid are just probably more interesting because I want to say this, that it doesn't oversell performances. Mm -hmm. It lets people have moments that aren't the biggest moment of the scene all the time as opposed to cutting around and putting so much pressure. Yeah, so it does have like lots of longer takes in this film. Mm. But it's I like it's cool when they when that because that's such a you know popular thing right now to have long takes and everyone goes how long how crazy was that long take, but it's good it's cool having unassuming long takes. It's I would long say long takes combined with camera movement mm. because a long take that is jarringly long is probably not giving you some information that you want as an audience. Yeah. Right. So the whole reason you get frustrated with a long take is because you're like. You know, I want to do something. I want to get in there. Mm. But a film that is moving the camera around and doing a long take is doing it deliberately and it's trying to go, this is alive, this is going on. Um, and yeah, so I, I love that technique. And it, it's killer in this film and it's killer in creating dread and realism and tension because you're watching people act. You're actually watching people act. So the idea of Guy actually acting about hiding something and he's actually playing the whole scene with the same... Continuity, continuity. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's no, you're, him, you're right. Yeah, it's not him reacting disappointed and then seeing him cut away and then yeah. coming back to him being disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Like he has to actually go through the ebbs and flows. So cinematography is absolutely my favorite part of this. Um, I like set design. Set design is really good. Mm -hmm. I think performances are really good. Um, I would probably hone back the old man. I like. Oh no, Mrs. Castor something. Cast a sugar. Um, as you know what's funny is that he's like the main baddie, but she is actively more evil than he is. Like she does more shit than he does. Yeah. Well, maybe he's not the the main evil one. Because that's know. what's. But he's the one who's in the book and has the history. Yeah. So I would hone him down a little. I think he could have worked as more somber character. It's funny that he's extravagant, but you know. Yeah, but he's got to be extravagant for guy to buy into him, right? Not necessarily. Okay. Anyway, that's that. Cool. Um, so I guess we're at what would you rate it? Yeah. So I've thought about this today. Um, and I've been sort of stuck between two ratings because I want to sort of crack down on my... Um, oh, no. My pod ratings. This is going to reflect Tom's personal life more than the film. I'm, I'm projecting. No, but I'm not actually because I decided against that because... You know, the, the matter of the fact is we're watching good movies on this pod. Yeah. And when we watch Soylent Green, we weren't afraid to give it a bad review. Yeah. So I'm not self-conscious about that. I think I'm obviously a little bit self-conscious about it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm giving this film three and a half. Really? So you were going to give it a three? That was the... I considered it. But then I'm like, no, this film is really well made and it gets a lot of things right. It just didn't. Didn't you give Blockers the three? Like, Whoa, don't be, don't be hating on Blockers. Look, I said that you this, ever film, seen John this Cena film wasn't wrapping up the, uh, tying up the bow on pregnancy films, but Blockers was tying up the bow on what, virginity, virginity <laughs> films. A lot of similar themes to this film, actually, and about agency and... Yes, empowerment. Blockers is surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. I like. I love the idea of. But I feel like part of it why it's good is what is because it looks so bad. You know, I love the idea of comedies being loved, like being, "Hey, this was actually really good," and then you can be like, 
Because, you know, comedies market themselves in such a way that they're so similar and blend into each other. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that people can be like, hey, you know, I was listening to the rewatchables and they're like, this is the end is actually a good comedy movie and no one <laughs> talks about it. Yeah, it does suck that comedies are like kept at a lower sort of appreciation thing unless they're like ridiculously smart. Well, you it's know? comedy and horror traditionally. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about yourself? Oh, um, like I really, really thought it was good, you know. I think that vibe-wise I just really fucked with it and like I liked, you know, we've talked a lot about the themes and I just found the themes really, I say poignant like all the time. It's like my one word. So whatever a different word for poignant is. Affecting is Affecting. another favorite of mine. Yeah. It, the themes cut through. They're not heavy-handed. And it just is this interesting thing with older cinema and art where, because nowadays everything has themes and means something else and is kind of obvious what it's showing. But, you know, as much as you can critique the fact that old cinema, like, didn't give voices to other things or tackle uh, voices to certain people or didn't tackle certain issues, what is really fascinating about art in general is how stuff cuts through regardless of that, being actively pursued or, like, actively being, you know, the point of making the film, you know. Like when Paramount made this or whatever, they were not like, oh, we're going to make a movie about women's liberation or something like that and agency and stuff. They're like, oh, it's a horror film. So it'll be a horror film. What, you look confused. No, it just made me think of something else, which is that you said modern films aren't subtle, but couldn't, you know, you could argue this film hits those themes and doesn't shy away from them. And that's sort of the point, you know, it doesn't, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but Darren Aronofsky's Mother, another film that this makes me think of Mm -hmm. just now, Mm -hmm. and it makes me think of it, and I'm certain it would have influenced that film. Yeah. Um, And that's about uh, pregnancy and motherhood, and I think there's literally a demon baby thing going on as well. Mm -hmm. And that film's so pretentious, though. So it's got yeah there's this pretension but th- relationship that's the thing is that they put the religion and themes and like symbols in this film but like not tons which is and like i think that the we didn't talk we talked about it but the dream sequences or whatever are so good in this like that's the sort of shit that i watch and go like yeah that's good music video stuff like i'm well, sure that yeah, there's a bra- bad they version. break the cinematography rules and mm-hmm. that works yeah and dream sequences that actually make you feel like you're suspended rather than you're watching someone go in a dream sequence is, like, really hard to do, I would say. And it also it just made me think of, like, 90s music videos for some reason, like alt-rock music videos. But they would be, like, done with lots of cuts and, like, not be enjoyable to watch and corny. But, like, this kind of probably covered all the sets that I would imagine being in that video. <laughs> the waves. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, Church's waves. Stark lighting. Um, blood on bot- Well, Nine Inch Nails. Blood on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I really liked it. I'm, I think that my gut reaction is to give it a four. Don't trust what's in your gut. We've learned one thing from this film. Don't trust what's in your gut. Hilarious. Yeah, I, I think I'll give it a four. Like, I just think it, I like it. I like it for the time. I really like it for the time. I think the themes are really good and handled in a good way. And in a way that, you know, I felt and continue to think. And, you know, like, I think that I generally want to like horror movies because I just... I think aesthetically I like them mm-hmm. um, or, and like want to like them. Because so, Horror Done Right is cool. Because so, the whole point yeah. of horror is about what this film does, commentating mm. on contemporary issues yeah. and expressing. Uh, it's normally about morals, values and beliefs. Um, yeah. Do you think that J.K. Rowling did a lot of public PR for witches? Like, do you think witches were spooky before Harry Potter? 
because we live in a post Harry Potter world where which you know what's interesting is witches like, aren't that witches are cool. You, you know? know what's important good about. I don't know, but then you have like people like Kate Bush, who was like a whole witch aesthetic and stuff like Before that. Before Harry Potter, though, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you're saying that she made witches cool. I still, I think I'm saying people that, were still like they're weird and they're like. But what's good about this is that the whole witch thing is not gendered. You know what I mean? Because I in history, I, historically speaking, witches, like it was sexism. Like <laughs> yeah, it was killing women you didn't like. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't mention this, but Polanski in interviews has highlighted that it could also not be supernatural. So, there's, you don't see any magic on screen or anything. There is a completely legitimate world where this is all in her head. What do to, you mean? To some extent. What do you mean it's all in her head? That is interesting and something we should have talked about before. I can't believe I didn't mention it. But he has said that, that you don't see any supernatural on screen, so you don't know if Satan stuff actually happens. Mm. And by that extension, you could imply that the scenes right at the end are her just hallucinating or not knowing the truth because they are so ridiculous i'm not saying it works more as a film or less of as a film to me what the, the it's, thinking it's point from that is the fact that there is no supernatural stuff on screen it works which is a good it's a move. filmmaking move yeah hmm. um i'm guessing that's in the book though as well um but he yeah, obviously yeah. had to accentuate it yeah but i'm guessing that we're out of time well we're still out of time Music. Find me on Letterboxd, Lil Silky. Get, get pumped for some music videos. Yeah, we got some good brother music videos in the pipeline. We'll do a Rosemary's Baby themed one, Acid Trip one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. set to a song from Pearl Jam. <laughs> la, 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 la. Maybe we reposition this before the plugs. <laughs> yeah. So, and the other plug, get bloody psyched. End of March. <laughs> Monkey Strong versus Lizard Boy Congress Godzilla Another classic Bye Another classic Or a fresh one If we knew what we wanted You'd be useless Tell us what's in Tell us who's done Another 